0: Hey, we are returning for um, rebuilding. We are returning for rebuilding here. A few more rebuilding uh, messages to share with you today. I'm going to do one of them. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the obstacles to rebuilding. If you were here or if you saw that one online, you're going to remember that we talked about how when we take these rebuilding uh, challenges on, sometimes there's obstacles there's, there's opposition in, in just getting started. It can be tough to start. We talked about you know, the difficulties in knowing who to trust. We talked about facing powerful opponents. That was the message where we, we arrived at this point where we acknowledge, man, there is power in the words of God. We talked about the ministry of prophecy as exemplified by Haggai and, and Zechariah in these stories. When God speaks, things happen. God can take the things that are set against us and he can turn them into assets in the rebuilding project. When God stands with us, when God calls us to rebuild, ultimately, no one can come against us. If if, if God is for us, who can come against, right? Isn't that what the word says? Today, what I wanna do is is kinda take a deeper dive, take a second look, because there's one other aspect of that that we didn't really fully cover, and so I'm gonna talk again about opposition that we face when we rebuild. Now, early on in the story of the Jerusalem rebuilders, they were absolutely aware of the possibility, even the likelihood of opposition. Uh, it seemed logical to them and to us as we read the story that most of their opposition probably was gonna come from the outside. Think about their circumstance. Their their grandparents had been taken captive by the Babylonian empire. So the Babylonians were the bad guys and the Babylonian empire had given way to the Persian empire and and the Persians were nicer than the Babylonians, but they were still ultimately subject. You wanted to watch yourself with Persia and make sure you didn't get or end up on their bad side. Uh, They were threatened by foreign neighbors. We remember some of those stories as they returned and and some of the other refugees in other lands started picking fights with them. There were a lot of problems and many of the problems were external. Uh, But God was ready to fight on their behalf. That was really the heartbeat of the message of Zechariah the prophet. In our picture, he's the one with the two thumbs up and the great big smile. And that's so much of what he writes. He's the one saying, come on guys, God's got this. God's got this, Zerubbabel, I know things haven't gone great yet, but you're the man, you're God's man, Joshua, I know you haven't really fully stepped into that role the way maybe you dreamt you would, but you are God's man, he was the encourager saying God's got this, that was the power of prophecy, right, and of course, problems arose from time to time, it wasn't like it was always smooth sailing, sometimes the problems were big problems, but as long as God's people remained faithful, God was ready to deal with their enemies. And that's really how most of the rebuilding story unfolds. But late in the story, late in the days of, of Nehemiah, who chronologically is the last of the six rebuilders, a new wave of opposition arose. And it was far, from a far less conspicuous source. We're not talking about foreign empires. We're not talking about godless people who are intent on destroying the Jewish faith. In the days of Nehemiah, it was opposition that could have been much more difficult to identify because it was much closer to home. And that's why today we're talking about just identifying the opposition. The opposition that Nehemiah faced was much closer to home. And though there were many people involved in this new wave of opposition, two of the names that Nehemiah mentions the most often were Sanballat and Tobiah. I'm gonna talk about those two names today. I don't have a picture. Lydia, I never asked you to draw a picture of Sanballat and Tobiah. Could you show us the picture of the six rebuilders? There they all are. You remember in chronological order, kind of left to right. And so we're really just gonna focus on Nehemiah today. I thought of getting like a spy versus spy image and saying that was Sanballat and Tobiah. We just need two kind of classic, subtle, sneaky, bad guys. That's how I want you to picture Sanballat and Tobiah. Let me tell you a little bit about Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat! Sanballat was the governor of Samaria. Uh, Nehemiah was the governor of Judah. And so Sanballat was kind of his counterpart in Samaria. Samaria was immediately north of Judah. If you picture a modern map in your mind, the nation of Judah was the southern half of modern-day Israel and Samaria would have been the northern regions in modern day Israel. So they were neighbors in that way and they weren't just neighbors. The Samaritans and the Jews were ancestral cousins. They both descended from Abraham. And in this case, though it wasn't always the case, in this case what that means is Sanballat worshiped the same God as Nehemiah. Sanballat had good friends among the priesthood in Jerusalem. Sanballat even worked with some of the prophets, not not Haggai and Zechariah, who we've met, but some of the unnamed prophets of scripture. He was involved in a lot that was going on in Jerusalem at this time. That's Sanballat. Now, the other guy I mentioned is Tobiah. Tobiah we know was uh, a government official. We don't know his office, but he was a government official of some sort from the nation of Ammon. Amon is east of Judah. If you thought about a modern day map, it occupies kind of the land where modern day Jordan is. So they're just kind of next door. The Ammonites, Amen, the Ammonites and the Jews, they also have a common ancestral heritage. Although they were very often rivals, they did in their family trees. The Ammonites could find Abraham in their family tree as well. Tobiah could have done that. And just like Sanballat in the case of Tobiah, Tobiah also worshiped the same god, that Nehemiah worshipped. In fact, the name Tobiah actually means Yahweh is good. So his name was uh, one of the great evidences that we have that we know he came from a family that worshipped Yahweh. His name was Tobiah, Yahweh is good. We know that he had a son and that he named his son Jehohanan or Yehohanan and that means Yahweh is gracious. So this is a guy that worshiped the same guy, uh, the same God rather, that Nehemiah worshiped. Just like Sanballat, he had very close connections in Jerusalem, especially in the priesthood, okay? And I share all of that to say from the outside looking in, you would think that Sanballat and Tobiah should be great supporters of Nehemiah and of the rebuilding project itself. After all, they believe in the same God right? They are subject to the same empire. They're kind of in the same circumstances. They have the same dangers. They're vulnerable to the same outlaws in this kind of sketchy time where we're repopulating uh, lands that had been empty. You would think that they would be on the same side. You would think that they would be supportive, but that's not how it played out. Early on, Nehemiah tells us that Sanballat and Tobiah begin by just ridiculing and poking fun at the rebuilders. I don't have this verse for you on the screens, but I'm going to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. Nehemiah remembers, you know, they mocked us and they ridiculed us. Speaking of Sanballat and Tobiah, he says, what are you doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? Okay, that's sarcasm if you can't catch it there. They're like, is that what's going on here? You think you're going to build these walls and then you're going to rebel against Persia and you're going to be free? Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah remembers that Sanballat ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and of the army of Samaria, he said, (coughs) what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? What, are they going to finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they're building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So these guys are just the two jokers there, ready to poke fun, ready to ridicule, ready to make fun of what's going on. But before too long, Nehemiah says, the jokes became less funny and more threatening. Nehemiah chapter four, verse seven, Nehemiah remembers, but when Sanballat and Tobiah heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, in other words, the foxes weren't knocking them down anymore. When they heard that the gaps were being closed, they got very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. That's what Nehemiah says. And as it turns out, the attack never came. Sanballat and Tobiah never really gathered an army and never became an existential threat against the security of Jerusalem, because just like he had done during the days of Zerubbabel and Joshua, God was faithful to protect the Jews in Nehemiah's day, right? You've already heard this sermon before. We know that God protects. But even though the military attack never came, the opposition mounted by Sanballat and Tobiah didn't come to an end. They kept on working against Nehemiah and now they were using means that were far more subtle than military action or political action. And the techniques that they used to threaten the rebuilding that was going on in Nehemiah's day are the same kinds of things that still threaten God's people today. And the scary part about it is that I don't think a lot of us even see it. If we're going to be successful rebuilders, we need to do an effective job of identifying the opposition. Even when Babylon is no longer a threat, even when Persia decides they're going to be nice and support our rebuilding projects, even when the neighboring armies don't make good on their threats to attack, even then, there's still opposition to the work of God. And learning from the story of Nehemiah And of his conflicts with Sanballat and Tobiah, learning from that is going to help us become successful rebuilders. We need to learn, for instance, that rumors jeopardize our efforts to rebuild. We're going to talk about rumors today. They jeopardize our efforts to rebuild. When Sanballat and Tobiah couldn't stop the rebuilding effort by by ridicule or by threat of violence, they resorted to a much sneakier tactic. The stories I'm going to tell today are from Nehemiah chapter (coughs) 6. Excuse me. The screen uh, begins in verse 6. I'm actually going to back up one verse and read from verse 5 to give you the setup and the context here. So Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Nehemiah records this, Then Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. Sanballat had been trying to get Nehemiah to meet him, to have some sort of parlay or communication. So Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. I wanna pause there because that's actually really, really important. Typically, if one leader, remember, Sanballat's a governor, wants to send a, a communique to another leader, Governor Nehemiah, he would write it down, roll it up, and seal it with wax and put his, his seal on it so that the courier could take it, and when it was received, it would be known that this has remained confidential, this is a private communique, right, that's typically how that would go, Nehemiah says, I'm sitting around one day, and Sanballat's aide shows up, and he's got a message for me, but there's no seal on it, it's never been sealed, this letter has been unsealed, and Nehemiah knows immediately, it's unsealed, which means the messenger read it, which means he told everybody on his journey on the way over about it, It means anybody (laughs) who wanted to could have read this letter so nehemiah realizes immediately something is up he writes this in the letter was written thank you sir it is reported among the nations that you and the jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and you have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now, this report's gonna get back to the king, meaning the king of Persia. Not too subtle, huh? So Sanballat sends this message that anybody can read, saying, you know, it is said, people are saying, you know, everybody's talking about it, that the reason you're doing this thing is because you're planning to lead a revolt, name yourself king, and have all the prophets coronate you and say, yes, this is God's choice. Nehemiah reads, reads the message. Now, remember, Nehemiah is a smart guy, right? He comes from the king's court in Persia. He knows what's what. He knows politics. He's seen this done before. And so Nehemiah has a real quick response to him. He says in verse eight, nothing like what you are saying is happening, You are just making it up out of your head. (laughs) You are just making, none of the words you have just said are remotely true. But then he records for us to read, I knew they were trying to frighten us. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to frighten us. Sanballat can't intimidate Nehemiah directly. So he sends a servant with an unsealed letter that anybody can read containing a bunch of lies and he insinuates that all of these rumors are going to eventually find their way back to Persia. when that happens, y'all are going to be in trouble. Y'all are going to be in trouble. Sanballat is hoping that he can intimidate the Jews. Now, he probably gets that he's not going to intimidate Nehemiah. But he thinks, you know, if enough people hear these rumors, enough people read the letter and pass it along, maybe enough of those rebuilders are going to think twice before they pick up their hammer tomorrow morning. Maybe this isn't gonna work. If Sam Ballot were around today, I think he probably would've just posted the letter online. That letter wasn't really ever meant for Nehemiah. It was meant to be noticed for everybody else along the way, for everybody else to hear. And maybe some would believe it. And those that did, maybe they would pass it along. And maybe some more would believe it. Maybe it would spread, that's what rumors do. And maybe eventually people would be saying, guess what's going on in Jerusalem? Nehemiah is leading a rebellion. Not true. Not true. But the tragedy is, I'm sure that there were some along the way who actually believed the rumor. And I'm sure that there were some who repeated the rumor. I'm sure there were some who put down their hammers, if only for a few minutes, just to discuss their perspectives on Nehemiah's character. Some among the people of God who exchanged their foundation of truth for the allure of a juicy rumor. Some of you, many of you perhaps, probably heard the news this week that Dr. Seuss Enterprises decided to stop publishing six books of the late Dr. Seuss. I found that out this week because I opened my Facebook feed one morning and saw a number of people posting in uh, disgust about how all of the books, all of Dr. Seuss's books were being taken off of shelves across the country. I thought, that's weird. I did some search, read some news articles. The complaint, all of Dr. Seuss's books are being taken off of shelves. Not true, not true. But that's what people were saying. Later I heard that a school district in Virginia had actually banned the author's books, deeming them unfit for children. People were really, really hot about that, complaining about that. Guess what? Not true. Not true. Didn't happen. Later, I saw a video of a US congressman on the floor of Congress giving a speech saying that the Democrats had outlawed Dr. Seuss's books. Not true. Not true. The truth? Dr. Seuss's own publishing company, founded by his widow, controlled by his estate, decided that there were culturally insensitive material in six of his books. And so because of that, they weren't going to publish them anymore. They listed the books. I was only familiar with one of them by title. Look, we can have different opinions about whether that was the appropriate choice for them to make or not. I understand that. Please understand me. That's not the bone I'm picking here. But why did we believe rumors? Why did so many of us get caught up in the hubbub about the Democrats outlawed the books or the school districts are saying the kids can't read him anymore or that all of his books were being taken off of shelves in in, in bookstores and libraries across the country? Why did we all believe the rumor? Now you may be wondering, what on earth does Dr. Seuss have to do with the gospel? Well, you can read it anywhere, you can read it with a bear. You can read it. No, no, no. (laughs) What does Dr. Seuss have to do with the gospel, and why is this even in pastor's sermon today? There's two reasons, and here they are. The first is this. This is important. We, as the people of God, have a God-ordained commitment to the truth. Do we remember the Ten Commandments? Number nine says, I'm going to go King James on you here, thou shalt not bear false witness. Okay, And we kind of say, well, that means you shouldn't lie. And it does. You shouldn't lie. That's what that means. But bearing false witness actually literally means God's people should not say things that aren't true about other people. Yes, that's lying, but I think it's really a more direct reference to rumors and to gossip, okay? We have a divine responsibility, a divine mandate, if you will, to research and to determine that things are true before we just pass along what we heard. And oh, by the way, that includes what I'm saying now. Do you remember that the Bible tells you, I'm pointing at you in the congregation, I'm pointing at you online. The Bible tells you, don't believe what your pastor says, but go home and search the word of God for yourself to make sure he's telling you the truth, right? Come on now, we have a divine mandated responsibility to do the work and to do the research and figure out if it's true before we repeat it. And if we don't do that, we're sinning. That's reason number one. Reason number two, we are a people who proclaim the truth. It's kind of what we do, right? Our whole mission in life is to declare the truth of the gospel to all people. And because of that, Our witness matters. Our credibility matters. It's at stake here. And if the world can quite easily debunk the rumors that we're spreading about Dr. Seuss, why would we expect them to believe what we say about Jesus? Why would we expect people to to pay us any attention at all when we tell them that a carpenter from Nazareth defeated death and walked out of a grave? If they can easily debunk what we're saying about Dr. Seuss, our credibility matters. Were the rumors about Dr. Seuss perpetuated by the church exclusively, or even was there any correlation there? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Christians of all people need to be much better at knowing the truth. Much better at knowing the truth. Those are the reasons that rebuilders cannot involve themselves with rumors we deal with truth. Rumors and people who spread them are always contrary to the work of God. But rumors aren't the only thing that threaten our rebuilding projects. Conspiracies jeopardize our efforts to rebuild and specifically conspiracy theories. The world today is full of conspiracy theories. How many of these have we heard, right? The virus. Was a government operation gone bad? They have the antidote, but they won't give it out because that would weaken national defense. How about this one? High level politicians in America are trafficking children so they can worship Satan. And they're using a pizza parlor in Washington, DC and Wayfair furniture online to do it. Uh, Maybe you haven't heard that one. That's legit. And there are hundreds of thousands of people following those conspiracy theories right now. How about this? The coronavirus vaccines will implant data into your bloodstream that will allow the government to track you using the 5G network servers. It's the mark of the beast, 666, and none of y'all should take it. <laughs> if you buy that one, please go back and listen to my sermons on Revelation. Okay? Just. <laughs> How about this one? The school shootings never happened. They were staged with actors as false flag events so that the government could have a reason to outlaw guns. Look, folks, we could go on and on and on here. And I wanna be clear. I am not taking issue with what's true and what's not true. You're gonna hear where I'm headed with that in a second. The issue isn't what's true and what's not true. The issue is where we're spending our time. It's where we're spending our time, come on. Nehemiah had to deal with conspiracy theories too. Nehemiah chapter six, verse 10. He says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah. Now we don't know who Shemaiah is. But he says, Shemaiah was shut in at his home. Maybe Shemaiah was sick. Maybe Shemaiah was injured. We don't know. But Shemaiah sent words to Nehemiah saying, hey, could you come visit me at my home? Because I can't get out of home. When I got there, Shemaiah said, let us go meet in the house of God, which strikes me as an odd thing for a guy who's supposedly shut in his house to say. So right away, Nehemiah is, how do you say, suspicious? He says, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. It's lost in the English, but he actually says that in kind of a Hebrew poetry style. Which would have been the way that prophets talk. Shemaiah is trying to convince Nehemiah that this is a word, a prophetic word from God. Men are trying to kill you. By night, men are trying to kill you. He says, dun dun dun. Can we do like the, the law and order, boom, boom, right there? Now none of that is true. As we find out later, it's just a conspiracy theory going around that Nehemiah was going to be assassinated by the deep state. Nehemiah writes, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him to do that. Now, if we read on, we find out the context here. If Nehemiah had bought into the conspiracy theory, if he had worried that he was gonna be assassinated by the deep state that night, if he had followed Shemaiah into the temple, he would have been sinning. The law is very clear, only the priests are allowed into the temple. You can't just waltz in there and close the doors to make yourself safe. And as it happens, Sanballat and Tobiah were trying to trick him into doing that. They were there waiting for him, ready to catch him doing that in order to humiliate him, in order to discredit him. They were going to say, this guy isn't a godly leader at all. He just defiled the whole temple. He's trying, He's trying to rebuild the place. He actually defiled the temple. Let's arrest him. Let's get him out of town. Let's get him out of here. And all that could have happened if Nehemiah had followed Shemaiah into the temple. And you know what, he might've done it if he had believed the conspiracy theory. Now, not, I am not naive enough to believe that everything we're being told by our government or everything we're being told by the media is true. I'm not asking you to be a in that in that regard. I'm not suggesting that we need to blindly presume that everything that we experience in this world is on the up and up. Because after all, Jesus told us, you gotta be wise and you gotta be cunning. I want you to be like serpents, right? I want you to be cunning. But I am reminding you that as a follower of Jesus, your life is focused on a kingdom, not of this world. So we should not waste our time trying to figure out who's actually in control of this world. And you know Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Have we heard that a time or two or three? Because Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus is Lord, right? And when we truly live our lives as if Jesus is Lord, then the conspiracies don't matter quite as much. Nehemiah wasn't tempted to follow Shemaiah into the temple because Nehemiah wasn't scared by the conspiracy theory. He knew that God was in control conspiracies and those who buy into them always take us away from the work that really matters, the work that God is doing. And that's what's most important. But sometimes, I mean, sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference, can't it? It can be hard to tell the difference even in the church between what's good and what's popular. I got to tell you, I'm just like standing on my soapbox today, taking aim at everything. Boom, boom. <laughs> you know, but I, I see Christian best-selling books sometimes, and I, you know, like everybody's reading them, and I pick them up and go, "This is awful. This is not what the Bible says. This is terrible." Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between what's good and godly and what's just popular. What's just popular? But we gotta be able to know the difference. When people aren't properly focused on God, when they aren't thinking critically, so important for believers, right? Think critically, people. When we aren't thinking critically, when we aren't exercising God-given, spirit-led discernment, then our minds can be easily swayed by the enemy's propaganda. And this is why that's so bad. Propaganda jeopardizes our efforts to rebuild. It's propaganda I'm talking about now. Still from Nehemiah chapter six, now down in verse 17, Nehemiah remembers, oh, also, like, oh, and another thing. In those days, the nobles of Judah, in other words, Nehemiah's guys, right? The nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah kept coming back to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him. He goes on to describe that Tobiah had all these connections with the priests. He had family, relatives, this, all that going on. Many in Judah were under oath. They were loyal to him. Moreover, they kept reporting to me about Tobiah's good deeds. But then they were telling him what I said. And Tobiah, all the while, sent letters to intimidate me. After everything Nehemiah had gone through with Sanballat and Tobiah, Tobiah remains a pretty popular guy in Judah. Some were fiercely, fiercely loyal to him. They were never able to see that he was actually the opposition. They kept trying to portray him as, hey, he's a good godly man, good guy. They were his PR team. And all the while, while this is going on, they don't even realize that Tobiah is using back channels to send those threats back to Nehemiah. Imagine how difficult that must have been for Nehemiah. Imagine how difficult it must have been for him to day by day walk through the job site and overhear the workers going on and on about what a great guy Tobiah was. Hearing over and over things like that can be devastating. Knowing the whole time that Tobiah is just trying to undermine his authority and get the workers to stop rebuilding. Rebuilders need to be really, really careful about who they listen to and who they believe. Rumors, conspiracies, propaganda. These are all basically just fancy words that mean not the truth, not the truth. And when we lose sight of the truth, the rebuilding comes to an end. And that's why successful rebuilders never lose focus. Never lose focus. And that's what Nehemiah did. That's why he's such a rock star in this story. Despite all the opposition, Nehemiah actually finished rebuilding efforts in record time. Chapter six, reading from verse 15, he says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu. That's, that's late September, if you're keeping track. In 52 days. 52, this rebuilding project has gone on for almost hundred years at this point. Nehemiah shows up 52 days later, the wall is up. Because he never lost focus. 52 days, and catch this, you gotta know that Nehemiah loved writing this next line. And when all our enemies heard about this, insert parentheses, Sanballat and Tobiah, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence. What they were trying to do to us happened to them because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. In the cases of Sanballat and Tobiah, the God that they thought they worshipped, the God that they thought they were on good terms with, and then all of a sudden they realized they'd been fighting against God the entire time. Sanballat and Tobiah looked friendly enough, I suppose, to the untrained eye. They even seemed like they should be on Nehemiah's side. But they made every effort they could to distract and discredit the rebuilders. Nehemiah was only able to succeed because he refused to be distracted by the lies, by the rumors, by the conspiracy theories, by the propaganda. He refused to be distracted by all that. He maintained his focus on the job that God had given him to do. Focus is hard, isn't it? Focus is hard. Sanballat and Tobiah were the opposition. They were the bad guys. They were the enemies, but it would have been so easy to not even realize that, to not even realize it. Same religion, right? We said it already, same situation, same circumstance, same responsibilities. Here's why I share that. I believe that there are people in the world today who look like Christians to some. They look like Christians from the outside, right? They claim faith. And sometimes we need to recognize that there are people who look like Christians from the inside, right? From us in the church. So-and-so is a believer. They believe the same thing we do. You all right? There are people in the world who look like Christians, but they are more like Sanballat and Tobiah than we realize. Church, I want you to hear me today. This is a tough sermon to preach because it is never in my heart to preach division. It is never in my heart to preach division. I don't wanna stand here and say, so we need to be careful and it's us four and no more and just us and you can't trust anybody, so shut them all out. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we serve a savior who told us, oh, you gotta be cunning. You gotta be cunning. Read the gospels of Jesus. How many times does he say, you gotta watch out for false prophets. There are many who will come in my name, but not proclaim the truth. And we need to take those words seriously. We need to take those words seriously. There are people, that are more like Sanballat and Tobiah than we realize. (laughs) They're influential in the government, right? That was Sanballat and Tobiah. Men of of power, of influence, of weight, leaders, seem to be interested in people and, and able to get a lot done. Very quick to wave a Bible in the air and tell God's people, hey, I believe the same thing, you know, you can trust me. There are people who are connected to the, the structure of, of religion, right? Ballot and Tobiah. And we didn't even get, there's a whole other message we can preach later on. They, they, they got in good with some of the priests who were a little bit weaker. Not Joshua, not, not, you know, not, not Ezra, but some of the priests who didn't know better. Ballot and Tobiah got in good with some of those guys. Maybe, maybe people who have written a book, Right? Christian author, a speaker who's so quick to tell their fans, hey, I got everything figured out. I know exactly what's going on. I got the secret, you know, 411. Come to me and we're going to drop some tea here and I'm going to tell you what the world is really like. There are people like that. There are people who are just socially good, right? Popular and friendly, connected. Everybody's buddy. Always got a good story to tell. That's Ballet. That's Tobiah. But all they're doing is they're propagating falsehoods. They're spreading rumors. They're spinning conspiracy theories. They're disseminating propaganda. And those things have the potential to do more damage to the church than we often realize. I've said many times through the last few weeks, we're talking about rebuilding here. Rebuilding, rebuilding, rebuilding. The stories we're looking at are very literal. There were walls that were broken. There was ruins on the ground. There were buildings that had been destroyed. The rebuilders needed to rebuild them. That's not really what we're talking about. Right? We're pulling on that metaphor and we're recognizing that so much of what God is calling us to do is to rebuild. I've heard from many of you in the last couple weeks. It's been a blessing to me. I've heard from many of you that have told me about, look, here's here's how God's speaking to me in my personal life. Here's a relationship that I'm really working on rebuilding. Here's a matter of faith that I'm... I think needs to be rebuilt in my life. Here's this, here's that, here's the other thing. Here's what's being rebuilt in my life. I celebrate all of those things. I've been blessed by some of the testimonies of, of how you're seeing progress and faithfulness in those rebuilding efforts, right? And I just want to remind you that while all of those things are going on, folks, I'm looking at a church that needs to be rebuilt, the credibility of the witness of followers of Jesus in this nation today is zero. And more than learning how to put our masks back on and, 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 and how to shake hands and all of that stuff, I'm convinced that as we come out of COVID, that is the number one threat to the church. The world doesn't like us anymore. The world doesn't like us anymore. They don't trust us. They don't think we're nice. They don't think we tell the truth. They think we're too involved with... With, with politics and power and this and that and the other thing, and it is killing our lives. And only 10 or 15 years ago, churches like ours built themselves on this ideal that if somebody in the community was hurting or troubled, maybe they would think, maybe, well, maybe I can find a community of people that will love me and support me. Maybe I'll, I'll walk through the doors of that church down at the end of the block on the dead end on Hobson Road. Church, I don't mean to be alarmed here, but I think those days are over. Look at what is being said about believers of Jesus Christ in this world. Well, let's not be shocked. We just got done reading Revelation, okay? We know it's getting back. We know it's getting back. But we're living into that. And I'm just saying, lost people don't like us anymore. They don't like us anymore. But I am compelled that they need the gospel of Jesus. They need the gospel of Jesus. And so we got to rebuild our credibility in the world. We have to rebuild our image in the world. We have to rebuild our commitment to the truth in the world. And stop getting lost in this stuff that doesn't matter. So would you just join me in praying to that? And Father, I'm reminded of the words of your son who said, I am the way. We know that. Then he said, I am the truth. And I I ask your forgiveness for the many ways in which we kind of deviate from that. We lose sight of that. We lose focus on that from time to time. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And I know, God, that sometimes we're we're in these rebuilding projects and we feel like we're doing everything we can to, to rebuild We feel like we're doing everything we can to be faithful, and yet things just aren't working out. God, help us to be really, really insightful and wise about identifying the opposition. Sometimes Ballot and Tobiah, they're sitting right there. They're sitting right there. Big old smiles on their face. Everybody's friend, everybody's buddy. Lord, teach us to be more discerning than that. Father, I pray that you would give us in our bellies just a disgust for rumor and conspiracy theory and propaganda that dissuades us or distracts us. I pray, Lord, that those things would be revolting to us. They're alluring to the world. Everybody wants a juicy tidbit, but not your people. Not your people. We serve a bigger God than that. And so, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak to us, that you would anoint our lips as you anointed Isaiah's lips, that the words we speak would be yours. Your word is true. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Amen.